following message is presented by Fellowship Bible Church from its weekly pulpit ministry. We offer an expositional study through entire books of the Bible, one verse, paragraph, or chapter at a time. We pray that you'll be blessed by listening in. Thanks for visiting. Good evening. I can be here with you guys this evening for those who are in person. If you're joining us uh, just now online, welcome. Grateful to have you with us this evening as we look back into God's Word. We'll continue... Uh, in our study of Ezra, which we began last time with just some introductory material focusing on some background information to the book itself as well as the timeline of when these events are occurring in the, uh, in the timeline of the Old Testament and Israel's history. And this evening we'll actually uh, get into the text itself, which is the most important part of our time. And so I invite you to turn with me in your copy of God's Word to the book of Ezra, the first chapter, where we'll be looking at uh, primarily the first 11 verses, uh, which is the first chapter, the contents of the first chapter there in Ezra. Let me uh, just offer a word of prayer, though, before we get further into our study this evening. Our Heavenly Father, we ask for your spirit strength as we consider your Word this evening. We ask that we would uh, rightly divide your Word Lord, and that uh, the proper effort of studying and preparation has gone in so that you can speak, uh, Lord, effectively through what is spoken about this evening through me and and in your word there. We ask that you would help us make application and to be uh, obedient to your word and to reflect uh, the nature, uh, the character of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as we can. We ask all this in your son's name. Amen. Now, last time in our introduction to the book of Ezra, we noted that the first six chapters uh, cover, cover historical events that preceded Ezra's time. Uh, we don't really see Ezra himself introduced until chapter 7. So the first six chapters cover material that happened before Ezra comes on the scene. The book begins by recounting a proclamation that made by Cyrus II there in first verse 1 we see, which we commonly know as Cyrus the Great. Cyrus the Great was the dominant political figure for Judah during this time and had been mentioned years earlier by Isaiah in chapter 44. We'll look at that text a little bit later on this evening. And uh, here in verse or chapter 1, we see that God uses him as uh, an anointed instrument for carrying out his plan, and that's what Isaiah chapter 44 speaks about as well. Here in the first four verses of chapter 1, we see the proclamation itself given by Cyrus, king of Persia. Now, the first, uh, it says in verse 1, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of king of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. The first year of Cyrus the second began, uh, the first year that he began reigning was around 559 B.C. However, it was in 539 B.C. that Cyrus toppled the Babylonian Empire and began to reign over this expansive empire. So it was then in the first year of Cyrus's reign over this entire empire, now that he, uh, he had toppled the Babylonian empire, that he made this proclamation. 
538 B.C. So although he began to reign uh, roughly 20 years earlier, it was in this first year that King Cyrus ruled over all of the empire, including what he had uh, taken from the Babylonian empire, that he makes this proclamation, which is spoken and also written, the text tells us. And in verse 2, we find the actual content of this proclamation. But looking back for a moment just at verse 1 and considering this a little bit more, the author tells us the reason that Cyrus makes this proclamation. Look with me at verse 1. It says uh, there that the word of the Lord, excuse me, let me just begin at the uh, beginning of verse 1. It says, now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, we could say, so that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. We see here Cyrus makes this proclamation so that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. Jeremiah had prophesied the return of Jews to the land, which would take place 70 years after the Babylonian captivity. Look with me for a moment at Jeremiah chapter 25, where we find this prophecy. In Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 11, let me begin back actually in verse 8. It says here in Jeremiah 25, verse 8, Therefore thus says the Lord of hosts, Because you have not heard my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, says the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land, against its inhabitants, and against these nations all around, and will utterly destroy them, and make them an astonishment, a hissing, a perpetual and perpetual desolations. Moreover, verse 10, I will take from them the voice of mirth, and the voice of gladness, and the voice of the bridegroom, and the voice of the bride, it, the sound of millstones and the light of lamp, of the lamp. And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment. And these nations shall, shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. So here we find those 70 years mentioned, which the Babylonian empire would uh, have taken the Jews captive during. Also, if you turn over to chapter 29 of the same book, Jeremiah. There in verse 10, let me begin reading, where it says, Therefore do not fear, O my servant Jacob, says the Lord, nor be dismayed, O Israel, for behold, I will save you from afar and your seed from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return, have rest, and be quiet, and no one shall make him afraid, for I am with you, says the Lord, to save you. Though I make a full end of all, the, all nations where I have scattered you, yet I will not make a complete end of you. But I will correct you in justice and will not let you go altogether unpunished. Verse 12, For thus says the Lord, Your affliction is incurable. Your wound is severe. There is no one, there is no one to plead your cause that you may be bound up. You have no healing medicines. All your lovers have forgotten you, they do not seek you, for I have wounded you with the wound of an enemy, with the chastisement of a cruel one, 
for the multitude of your iniquities because your sins have increased. Here in this passage, we see that uh, though God would punish them, he would not cause them to go uh, distinct or not cause them to be able to return to the land. And uh, the Lord would restore them to their land. Eventually, after the 70 years mentioned in chapter 25 had come to an end. So then, as we consider uh, those verses, uh, we note then back in Ezra chapter 1 that uh, this prophecy is being fulfilled. Seventy years had passed since uh, the first exile in 605 B.C., and now 70 years later, the first exile of the Jews, after the first exile of the Jews, uh, God's promise was coming true that some would return to the land which they had been taken captive out of. Now, um, the author intentionally informs us that it was the Lord who led Cyrus to make this proclamation, which would allow the Jews to return back to the land. And it says, or we're told here in verse 1, that uh, God worked and led in Cyrus when he stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. You see that in the middle of verse 1 there. God, did, God does this so that uh, Jeremiah's word might be fulfilled, and he does so by stirring up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. The idea here is that God worked in a direct way with Cyrus. God was doing a divine, supernatural work, influencing Cyrus to make such proclamation. And all this was in, in accordance with what God spoken by the prophet Isaiah. So let me draw your attention there for a moment. Isaiah chapter 44. Remember that uh, these words are being spoken uh, roughly a century and a half before Cyrus actually comes on the scene. And here in chapter 44, verse 28, it says this. Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and he, will, he shall perform all my pleasure, says, saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built, and to the temple, your foundation shall be laid. Here we see uh, a, a prophecy that uh, God would use Cyrus as an instrument in his hand to perform God's good work. He would, he would call Jerusalem to be rebuilt as well as the foundation of the temple to be laid. We see there in verse 28. And then in chapter 45, verse 1 of Isaiah, it says, Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held, to subdue nations before him and to loose the armor of kings, to open before him the double doors so that the gates will not be shut. I will go before you and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron. Verse 3, I will give you the treasure, treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places, that you may know that I, the Lord, who call you by your name, am the God of Israel. 
For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, my elect, I have even called you by your name. I have named you, though you have not known me. As we consider those verses, it's clear that uh, it is God who is using Cyrus. Whether Cyrus knew directly uh, or not, whether he was familiar with this prophetic passage or not, seems he may have been, uh, at least may have been read to him, perhaps uh, by one of the prophets. Whether that or not that's the case, God was supernaturally, divinely working through Cyrus in accordance with his word so that the people of Israel could return and build the temple once again. We, uh, we see then as a result of Cyrus's proclamation, the temple would be rebuilt just as Isaiah had prophesied by the word of the Lord. And this would be a reminder, an encouragement to the returning, those returning to Jerusalem that God is faithful. God, just as he had promised, over a hundred years before, to restore the people of Israel to the land and for the Jerusalem to be rebuilt, the temple to be rebuilt, God was fulfilling his promise. And this would be a good reminder to his people that his word is true, it is accurate, and he is faithful to it. The fact that this proclamation was not only verbally stated, but also put in writing is important. We see this at the end of verse 1. It says, So that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom, and also put it in writing. Later in chapter 6, actually let me read that for you now, Ezra chapter 6, verse 1, it says, uh, this is the reason why it's important that it was put in writing. We find here in verses 1 and 2, chapter 6, it says there, Then King uh, Darius issued a decree, and a search was made in the archives, where the treasures were stored in Babylon. And at Akmetha, uh, in the palace that is in the province of, uh, of Media, a scroll was found, and in it a record was written thus. And here we find... Uh, the decree, which was, uh, which is stated in chapter one, given by Cyrus, and so uh, later on, as we'll study when we get to this portion, we'll find that it was important that this decree was written down because later it would be discovered again, which would help in uh, re- re- uh, revigorating, reviving the efforts of completing the temple. And so, once again, we see God working through Cyrus to cause his, his work to be accomplished there in Jerusalem. Now, let's consider for a moment the proclamation itself, which we find here in verses 2 through 4. The, uh, the proclamation can really be divided into three sections as I study this. The first section pertaining to God, the second pertaining to the Israelites, and the third pertaining to those who had decided to remain there in Babylon, whether it be Israelites or the Babylonians themselves, the neighbors of the Israelites, as they were uh, communing there, living there with them. In the first section, we see that Cyrus recognizes the God whom the Jews serve, Yahweh. Let me read verses 2 through 4 for you here, and you can follow along. 
Beginning in verse 2, it says, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is among you of all his people? May his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. And whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of his place help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, besides the free will offerings for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. Now, although there is no great evidence that Cyrus himself believed in the God of heaven, in Yahweh, he does give honor to him by attributing his vast kingdom to be a result of God's gracious work. We see that in verse 2, where he states that this God of heaven, the Lord God of heaven, is the one who has given the kingdoms of the earth into his hand. Secondly, Cyrus states that the Lord has commanded him to build a house or a temple in Jerusalem. This is the temple. This temple would uh, replace the one which was destroyed in 586 when Babylon destroyed the city of Jerusalem. Turn back just a few pages to 2 Chronicles chapter 26, or excuse me, 36, where we find that account beginning in verse 15, 2 Chronicles 36, verse 15. It says here, And the Lord God of their fathers sent warnings to them by his messengers, rising up early and sending them because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people till there was no remedy. This was a very spiritually low point in the nation of Israel, where they were uh, being obstinate, disobedient to God, and also to the prophets of God whom he was sending to warn them to repent. Verse 17, therefore he brought against them the king of uh, the Chaldeans who killed their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion on young man, on young man or virgin, on the aged or the weak, he gave them all into his hand. In the articles from the house of God, great and small, the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king of his leaders, all these he took to Babylon. Then he burned the house of God, broke down the wall of Jerusalem, burned all its palaces with fire, and destroyed all its precious possessions. It was this house of God, this temple that Cyrus was giving it a proclamation to be rebuilt here in Ezra chapter 1. Now, the second section we find in this proclamation here in Ezra 1 is directed toward Israelites who were in captivity. Cyrus here gives permission to them to return from Babylon to Jerusalem and to rebuild the temple. He says in verse 3, calling to them, calling out to them through this proclamation, who is among you of all his people, that is, the people of the God of heaven, Yahweh, may his God be with him, verse 3 says, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. 
Cyrus is calling the Israelites, giving them permission to return to do this good work, to rebuild the house of God. It was up to them to decide whether or not they would go, but the call and the permission is there for them to do so. Finally, in the third section, Cyrus, we see, encourages in this proclamation that those who remained in Babylon, perhaps either Israelites who decided they wouldn't go back to, to Jerusalem, but maybe were, uh, they were happy or at least uh, comfortable with the lifestyle that they had there uh, in Babylon that had been established in the last 70 years or so, whether it be them or perhaps uh, their non-Israelite neighbors, Cyrus is giving a proclamation or encouragement to them to give items of silver and gold, go, uh, goods and livestock, in addition to the free will offerings that could be given to the house of God, which was going to be rebuilt. We see this in verse 4, where he says, And whoever is left in any place where he dwells, that is left there in Babylon, let the men of his place help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, besides the free will offerings for the house of God. Notice that those who returned had to decide themselves to return. This wasn't necessarily a command, an imperative that Cyrus is giving, that they had to leave Babylon. Rather, it was a proclamation of permission, an allowance for them to make this return to Jerusalem to help in the building project of the temple. It was more of an offer than a command. Most likely, those who decided to return were those who were concerned that they dwell in the land which God had promised them and that they build, once again, the temple so that temple worship could be restored and practiced in accordance to God's command. Those are the kind of people that would return, those who are most spiritually concerned with proper worship being taken place in accordance to God's command, which was to be in the temple, the house of God. Without the temple, this, this, uh, this command of God could not be fulfilled. They could not be wholly obedient to the form and practice of worship that he desired of them, and so it, were those, it was those kind of people that we can presume were the ones that desired to return to rebuild the temple. Now, verse 5 tells us, among, uh, tells us who among the Israelites in Babylon decided to return. Let me read for you uh, verse 5, which says, which says, Then the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin... And the priests and the Levites, with all whose spirits God had moved, arose to go, to go up and build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. We see here uh, the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin, which refers to the leaders of the families who were descendants of the family of Judah and Benjamin. Most likely, these uh, leaders represented whole household families, whole clans, and whereby then they were representing those families in their desire to go back to Jerusalem. We also see uh, other categories of people mentioned here that would return. 
in verse 5. It also says uh, the priests and the Levites were among those who would return. Their return, of course, was necessary for the proper temple worship. The priestly duties were prescribed by God and were to be fulfilled by those who were qualified for the position, which we know were which clan or which family? The Levites. In summary, we see here in verse 5, it was everyone whose spirit God had moved or stirred. Now, I take this to be a reference to a spiritual work that God was doing in the heart of a person to move them to be obedient to him by returning to Jerusalem to participate in the worship of God as God had prescribed it to happen. That is what God was doing in these people's lives. He was convicting them. He was stirring them up so that their countenance and their concern was to be obedient to God by returning to worship by the prescribed method which he had given them in the law concerning the temple. Now, beginning in verse 6, we see uh, details concerning the collection which was going to take place, uh, which would include items taken back for the temple, uh, for temple use. Here in verse 6, it says, And all those who were around them encouraged them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with precious things, besides all that was willfully, or excuse me, was willingly offered, referring to the free will offerings for the house of God. Perhaps as you read verse 6, it may recall to mind another event in which the people uh, lavishly provided goods and items to the Israelites. Perhaps your, uh, your antenna is going up, thinking back to the Exodus, the time in which God provided for the people Later, even for the, uh, the tabernacle itself, items of gold and silver, which would be used for the worship, in worship of, of God there. And similarly here then, we see God providing once again for his temple, for his house. The furnishings and the, uh, the temple uh, items, uh, the, the utensils to be used to worship him. Verse 7, it says, King Cyrus also brought out the articles of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from Jerusalem and put in the temple of his gods. Look with me uh, for a moment, uh, other verses that just state uh, this kind of fact or these, uh, another account of these items being taken from the house of God by, by uh, Nebuchadnezzar and Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 27. Jeremiah chapter 27, verse 22 says this. Um, let me begin back a little bit further. Verse 19, for thus says the Lord of hosts concerning the pillars, concerning the sea, concerning the carts, Concerning the remainder of the vessels that remain in the city, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, did not take, when he carried away captive Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, from Jerusalem 
to Babylon and all the nobles of Judah and Jerusalem. Yes, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, concerning the vessels that remain in the house of the Lord and in the house of the king of Judah and of Jerusalem. They shall be carried to Babylon, and there they shall be until the day that I visit them. Thus says the Lord. Then I will bring them up and restore them to this place, that is the temple of God, which would be rebuilt under, uh, under the, uh, the leadership of, uh, of Ezra, as we'll see. Now, uh, another verse that we can mention as well is uh, Daniel. Daniel chapter 1. Let me just uh, call your attention just for a moment to that passage. Daniel chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some, not all, but some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his gods. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. That is the articles which are being referred to here in Ezra chapter 1, verse 7, which King Cyrus brings out from the temple of the gods there in Babylon, which is stated there in Daniel chapter 1, verse 2. These temples or these vessels would be used to perform the priestly duties and to furnish the temple which was to be rebuilt as the people returned to Jerusalem. Now, in verse 8, it says in chapter 1 of Ezra, going back there, and says, And Cyrus, king of Persia, brought them out by the hand of Mithridath, the treasurer, Mithridath, the treasurer, and counted them out to Sheshbazar, the prince of Judah. In verse 9, we see um, an inventory of the items which are collected which says, uh, which is stated here, this is the number of them, 30 gold platters, 1,000 silver platters, 29 knives, 30 gold basins, 410 silver basins of similar kind, and 1,000 other articles. Verse 11, all the articles of gold and silver were 5,400. Quite a number of articles collected here. That that would include the ones which are were taken out of the uh, the house of the gods of the Babylonians, the ones which were uh, displaced from the temple by Nebuchadnezzar, as well as the articles which were collected from the people of Babylon at uh, at Cyrus's command and his proclamation there. Now, uh, there may, I kind of skipped over it, but there may be some question about uh, the man named there in chapter, or verse 8, Sheshbazar, prince of Judah. Uh, you may wonder who exactly is this person who is called prince of Judah. Well, in chapter 5 of Ezra, verse 14, we find a little bit more detail, a little bit. There in uh, verse 14 of chapter 5, it says, Also the gold and silver articles of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple that was in Jerusalem and carried into the temple of Babylon, those 
King Cyrus took from the temple of Babylon, and they were given to the one named Sheshbazar, whom he made governor. The author states uh, here that he was appointed governor by Cyrus. Most likely he uh, was perhaps an Israelite, uh, who Cyrus had appointed as the first governor of Judah, who would return with uh, those under Zerubbabel's rule and leadership. He would have overseen the uh, exportation of these valuables, these articles, back to Judah, along with Zerubbabel. However, uh, he is not to be confused with Zerubbabel, who was the leader recognized by the Israelites by God. We find uh, Zerubbabel mentioned for the first time in chapter 2, verse 2, where it says those who came with Zerubbabel were, and then we find a lengthy list of all those who would return under Zerubbabel's leadership. In one sense, it's as if Cyrus uh, was providing a governor under his own kind of uh, appointed ship, giving someone to lead Yet at the same time, there was someone more specific that God had in mind to lead the people, and that was the man Zerubbabel. We find um, more mention about Zerubbabel in chapter 3 as well as in chapter 4, and then also more details about him in Haggai uh, chapter 1 and chapter 2, which we'll look at uh, later on in our study of Ezra. As we uh, conclude our time this evening, our time has gone by. Uh, I do want to encourage you with this thought, though. Uh, going back to verse 5, uh, it's, uh, it's not our prerogative to focus on necessarily the number of articles that returned uh, to Jerusalem, though they are important for the temple worship. But rather, um, the focus should be on, in this passage on the reason for the return and those who were returning. The reason being to rebuild the temple, the epicenter of Israelite worship, and also the kind of people who would be returning. It, were, it was those who had been moved by God in a spiritual way, whose hearts were awakened, stirred up, where their minds were in tune with the things of God so that they had a deep concern to return to the promised land to restore the temple and restore the worship of God in Israel as God had commanded them to do. Let's uh, conclude our time this evening with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this uh, account that we have concerning the work that you did so many years ago, Lord, and how you use uh, perhaps people who we, do not, uh, we don't expect. Someone like King Cyrus, who, uh, not an Israelite, but a man whom you appointed to use, a servant of yours, in one sense, to perform your good work and to fulfill your promise to your people that you would restore them to their land and and cause them to rebuild your temple, to restore the proper worship of the Lord God.
Lord, we pray that uh, uh, we also, in this day and age, would be attuned to the kind of proper worship that you desire. Lord, we don't we don't put some grandiose focus on the building necessarily itself here, but we do desire that the kind of worship performed in this building would be proper worship. Lord, that we would be concerned about how we worship you in the ways that you have prescribed us, just as you prescribed Israel to worship you, and that we'd be obedient to those kind of commands, Lord. Lord, we pray that uh, similarly as those that you did a work of stirring up the hearts of the people of Israel, that you have done a similar work in our hearts. Lord, in a, in a salvific way, of course, providing regeneration to our hearts, Lord, and your spirits and dwelling. But Lord, similarly, your spirit would be working in us to stir us up to the things of God and not become lazy or, or comfortable in the place that we are. But Lord, that we would keep our eyes and our focus and our attention on worshiping and proclaiming your name in the way that you have told us to do. We ask this in your son's name. Amen.